Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table. I'm Mike Asback, and finally joined by my co-host, John McDonald. Although, John, I can't really say that because I'm the one that missed the last two episodes, but it's good to be back. It's been a while since we've uh, rocked and since rolled I've together. Seen you. Yeah, man. I know. The, it's been a while. The, the sun is shining off your forehead. It's a good day. You yep. know what I mean? Vacation was great. So thank you for holding down the fort and letting me go get some sunshine. It was much needed. You can so, take the sunshine. I, I will die. So... <laughs> So for those of you that may be new to the podcast, thank you for joining us. This is White Coats of the Round Table, and we're a podcast that talks about all non-clinical aspects of healthcare. If you're listening to us for the first time, give us a follow. If you like what you hear, give us a rating. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't rate us. Today we're going to have a really fun episode. So this is a guest of ours that I've actually known for a while. And we've crossed paths professionally many times, so the the pharmaceutical speaking world is quite small. So I look up to him as someone that uh, is above me, and I strive to be like him. And before we introduce him, John, I'm going to turn it over to you because I really love your eloquent intros. Everybody, I'm gonna, I want you to put your metacarpals together and join the fanfare for a friend of the podcast, maybe an acquaintance. We'll find out, but at least an inspiration to malpractice lawyers everywhere. He's never had a song written about him, but John Denver loves the land our guest walked upon as a youth. He came from ivory towers of territory management and sales prior to swearing his blood oath to the wiles of nursing. After discovering he needed to find himself, our guest woke up on a leather couch wearing ill-fitting corduroys with a mismatched tweed blazer smelling of 25-year-old Pappy Van Winkle and pipe tobacco. Yes, if, you, if you've all listened this far, you know he's wandered into psychiatry. Okay, finding success and a unique experience early in his career, our guest began using an NP degree to climb the tree of knowledge uh, with the likeness and speed of the nightly fear of having one more child shooting up the back of my neck but all jokes aside, coming at you as a CEO and founder of his own company and professor at a multitude of higher learning institutions, he's a motivator for me and a friend indeed. Jeremy Schreiber, it's great to have you on. Thank you so much, John. I need to get you to do all of my introductions or write blurbs for me, too. That was fantastic. It's like the guy off of Chaucer, off of the Knight's Tale. Um, you know, just I can blow you up or sink you. That's the problem. If you don't pay me enough, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think the scary thing is that's the toned down version. So, John, I'm really curious to see what the, the original was, if you had to cut some stuff out of that. I just need to know, does anybody know who uh, Zuckercorn is? Barry Zuckercorn? It would have fell flat. Arrested Development Lawyer. So Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. I do love Arrested Development, but... Of course, of course. Excellent. Well, Jeremy, thank you for joining us. The topic today is public speaking. And I don't know if you listened, if you're a listener of the show, but recently we did an episode on industry consulting and how to get into that, my journey through that. And talking about that really inspired us because, as I said earlier, you are one of the top people that I know, especially when we're talking about non-physician speakers 
in that world. So we wanted to bring you on to talk about public speaking and really hear from an expert on how people can be better at it, how people can use public speaking as an opportunity to maybe leverage their careers and look for new opportunities. But before we get into all of that, maybe we give you a chance to introduce yourself since John's uh, introduction was good, but maybe uh, doesn't actually give a little bit more of your journey. So let me turn it over to you and uh, tell us about yourself. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. And I want to tell you that I was so blown away by John's introduction that I even forgot to thank you both for having me on the podcast as your featured guest. So I just want you to know that I am grateful for that. Truly. Thank you both very much for bringing me on. All of that being said, you know, I think really, you know, with my journey, it came, it came from, since we're talking about speaking, it came from a position of looking at speaking as an art form. And I also think it came from a position of education and having a background in sales from, you know, a a former life of mine eons ago before I now live in West Virginia and I don't have to wear my shoes anywhere, obviously. Right, John? And uh, I was in Georgia speaking last night and my flight was delayed and I didn't get home until very, very late last night. So it was, it was long. It was, I'm in, the lights on and I'm reading a journal article. And I think I'm the only guy on the plane that has the light on. And I'm sure that all the other passengers are annoyed by me, but with the light on the person next to me wasn't sleeping. And so I finished one of the articles and I get almost all the way through the next one, the snacks come down and the guy next to me starts talking to me and he's from Mississippi. And he, we're talking about life and, you know, things in general. And he's kind of bragging about how frequently he flies and these sorts of things. And he said to me, we were talking about um, someone that works for him because I was telling him about what I do. You know, I own my own practice and I have other nurse practitioners that work with me. And I was talking about that. And he said to me, he said, you know, there's, there's two types of people in this world that are successful. You either got to be really smart or you got to work really hard. So I didn't get to where I am by being very smart. You know, I'm not any smarter than anybody else, but I like to think that I have a tremendous amount of work ethic. I started, I was in sales and, you know, I decided I would go back to school. And so I went back to nursing school and I graduated summa cum laude. And then I went to graduate school. And when I was in graduate school, I actually started teaching at the undergraduate level. It was a, I, I got into practice, I started seeing patients, and then I started speaking. I started speaking on behalf of some medications and doing medical education lectures. And I will tell you the, the first time that I ever spoke, like in, in public, right? Like I like being a teacher, but doing something kind of within the guardrails mm-hmm. of the FDA, within the confines of industry is different than doing something without, say, guardrails that exist. And I was terrible. I was, I was, I was awful. I was like, I, I left and I was like, oh my goodness, I never want to do that again. I never want to subject myself to a position where I look foolish in front of a room of people. And so what I decided to do was just change the way I looked at speaking. So despite always liking sales and liking teaching and liking all of this other stuff, I realized that there was a different skill set in terms of numerous types of public speaking that I do in terms of medical education lectures, you know, teaching as well as at several universities, and then also presenting CME, right? All of these things are a little bit different. And the other thing is, you know, most of the people I'm talking to when I am in the realm of teaching students 
they don't know what I know, right? Their, 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 their breadth of the information that they have consumed so far isn't as broad or as deep as my depth and breadth. You feel like a resident, you know, trying to interview again, don't you? Yeah, it's, it's brutal. And so I just thought to myself, if I'm going to be up here presenting, I also represent every nurse practitioner in America. When I am on stage, I am every nurse practitioner and the perception of every nurse practitioner will be based based on how well I do giving this presentation to these physicians or other nurse practitioners or PAs. And so I just decided that I was going to be the best of the best. I'm not smarter, like I said, but I put the time in and I started to really look at speaking as an art form, if that makes sense, and really look at as an independent craft specific, really, to medical education. What did you, did you... Uh, ever take a course early on for speaking intentionally driven to develop yourself in this way or, or a book? Is there anything you first started off with? You're like, this is the book. I'm going to, I'm going to follow this like scripture. Yeah, no, I think at one point, like when I was in sales, I read like some Zig Ziglar stuff, but I don't even know if I made it all mm-hmm. the way through it. Or, you know, like, I think I read part of how to win friends and influence people, but I didn't finish that book either. So there was these two books and I, I'd love to read them now but I I just haven't yet. And so it wasn't that there was some book or some course or anything that I took. It was just, yeah, I would attend conferences and I would, you know, watch the speakers on the stage that I thought were masterful. And I would think, you know, like, what are they doing? What's the nuance? And, you know, I listened to a couple podcasts. uh, There's one of them and the the gentleman has a conference. It's called the score conference. And it talks about how to kind of set up a talk. And so you have to also understand, John, at the same time, one of the things that I think that we have to do, like if say we're giving a medical education lecture, is that we have to bring value to the audience, right? We can't waste the audience's time. And so we have to, in essence, bring a message to the audience. What do we truly want them to know when we leave the talk? Does that make sense? Uh, 100%. Okay. you're, you're talking to a, a Dale Carnegie graduate here. So I did the intensives. I know where you're going okay. with this, sir. So you, what, Mike's got to catch up. So Okay. So you're, gonna, you're going to deliver a message to the audience. And unfortunately, because I have a sales background for years, there's also a part of me that thinks, you know, like if I'm delivering a message, is, is this problematic? But the fact of the matter is, whenever I deliver a presentation, I deliver it with a message. And that message isn't, it's not sales. It's not anything. It's the message of the education that I want the people in the audience to receive. And on top of that, when you deliver a message and you go into the presentation, right? You go into the presentation with the end in mind. You, you don't start a presentation without knowing what you're going to do. And so if you know what you're going to do and you understand what message, you know, the information that you really want the people to understand, it gives you the ability to work in the analogies and the stories and, you know, frame everything out that gets people to the point of having everything. And as a speaker, it also helps you stay on track because you, you know what you're going in to do. Let me ask you a question about that then. So do you find that most presenters when they're talking about 
medical information, drug information, so focused on the facts and understanding the p-values and what this was powered to and what the ratios were and trying to deliver all this in the minute details in order to drive home the point that I've read the study, I can evaluate the study and this should convince you to use or not use this medication or use in different fashions rather than to give an explanation as to how this has worked in real world, um, what your reflections are as um, as a provider and from patients themselves. I, I'm, I'm guessing there's just a little bit difference in what I've seen versus what you're talking about. Yeah, John, and I think that's a great question. And I, I think that it comes down to, there's a, there's a couple things. So if you're talking about a medication, and so I, I just want to start with, if, if the premise is someone is giving a presentation about a medication, then understand that there's the guardrails of the FDA that surround this particular talk. And so the presenter is not allowed to say anything off label, nor, by the way, if you're saying anything, should you be saying things that aren't true or, you know, I mean, you just, you, you just don't do that. I mean, it's inappropriate, but and if you've come on the podcast today and you haven't listened to uh, our podcast specifically talking about how to get into speaking, uh, refer back to that one because it gives a lot of rules and guidelines to follow that he's talking about. So he, he's not going to go very deep into this, but you can listen to that and this will make a lot more sense. Yeah. So if someone is delivering a medication presentation, take in mind that you know, the medication presentations are pretty much all based on what is included in the package insert. And if you think about a package insert, I mean, like that's the thing that you pull out and you read when you have trouble falling asleep at night. That's my life again, sir. I know. And I'm, I'm glad that you're doing this because I feel like, you you know, you're, you're coming to a, a greener pastures, right? Well, being able to translate the data is really part of the art. I kind of look at speaking like, like. Let me back up. Do you have kids? Well, we actually have all boys. Have this, all yeah. boys, four of them, and they're on the same ages. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm all boys as well. Wow. Yeah. I think it's what the a COVID vaccine. But <laughs> <laughs> well, so you know, when you have your children and you're reading them a bedtime story. When you read a book to your children, what you're doing is you're telling them a story that's on the page, right? You're telling them the story of the page. And so the same thing happens almost when you, at least I think it should be done this way. When you're looking at presenting, say, medications, you're telling the story of the page. Nobody wants to show up and listen to someone read the slides to them. I had that happen to me when I was in school. I had several teachers that did it. And I thought to myself, I will never subject a human being to this ever because it's torturous. And so the problem is, is that when we are trying to educate healthcare providers, we have a responsibility as educators to do the best possible job that we can do. Because when we educate other healthcare providers, those other healthcare providers take that knowledge and they impact the lives of their patients. And so it's paramount that we deliver, that we are not only content experts, but we're also expert presenters. Make it easier on the pupil to retain the information, understand the information. And so there's a trans, a translating effect that we, I think we should be doing from the stage with the information that exists. Mike, I don't know if that's something that you do or not when you present, 
you know, what are your thoughts on that? So I agree. We talked about this in a previous episode that I think there's there's a groundswell happening in pharmaceutical consulting where historically speakers were these vaunted academics that had, you know, a hundred publications that participated in all these research trials. And those individuals are incredible. You know, when you when you hear one of those physicians speak or one of these researchers that was actually on the bench that made the molecule, it's amazing. But at the same time, I think there's a demand from clinicians to hear from people that are boots on the ground, that are their peers that are saying, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is what we're doing. And I think it goes to exactly what you're saying. There's still a role for that really, really high level. Let me show you that I am the smartest guy in the room or woman. But I think that having something be relatable, being able to go in and say, hey, this is really complex. Let me break it down for you and make it approachable, make it easy, make it digestible. That's a really important thing, not just for pharmaceutical speaking, but for any level of public speaking. As you said, including teaching, even I'm thinking about several times I've gone to like patient support groups or different patient advocacy groups and given lectures. I've given lectures to um, school groups that were not for medical, that were just like health and wellness type of lectures in undergrad. So there's so many opportunities as a clinician to to be a public speaker and then offer that as an opportunity to either make side money or potentially translate that into a full-time role. So with that, though, I want to pivot a little bit Yeah. because in, in your description of things, you, you brought up a lot of things that I think were identified of why people may struggle with public speaking. So I want to take a couple of those out and actually break down why we think it's happening, and how listeners, if they have that as something that they're struggling with, how they can improve upon it. So the one that you said just recently that caught my mind is whether it be in school, whether it be at a pharmaceutical presentation, when you have the speaker that is just sitting there and reading the slides verbatim, they're not adding anything to it. They're just there to, to recite them. And I think a lot of times what happens, I've seen speakers do that, is they're nervous. Maybe they don't know the material that well. So what would you, what would be your response to that? If you have someone listening to this that maybe just got a faculty position at a local college and it's their first time teaching and they are, you know, scared and they need help to be more comfortable so that they can look more comfortable, they can kind of expand beyond the slides, make it more interesting and engaging for their audience. How would you go about that if you were... Um, you know, going to speak to that listener right now. Yeah. So if I was just working on the, you know, how do I go beyond simply reading slides to to being a, what I would say a more advanced translation of this, you know, the and your point, Mike, that I thought was very interesting that you made here was, you know, maybe the speaker is nervous, but let's take out the nervous aspect of this, but let's leave it sit there just in case. People tend to be more confident they tend to be more able to present something when their grasp of the information is more firm. So there's two things that I would say. That person should have a mastery of the data that they're going to present. So they have to have a mastery of the data. So study the data, understand the data. They have to know the nuance of the data because sometimes it's the nuance that actually makes the point. And this is the level at which you have to understand something to be able to teach it someone to someone else. So you have to have a mastery from a global perspective down to the minutia, and you have to have this mastered. When this is fully fathomable, 
then you can take the content and then you can start to understand how to translate it. At that point, that's going to be what allows you to deliver a more confident presentation. It truly comes from a mastery of the material. Anyone who doesn't have the material mastered is never going to be a good presenter. They're just not because they're not going to understand everything that they need to understand in order to deliver something that's of value to the audience. So the first thing. Okay. So yeah, I was going to say that's exactly what I was going to ask you about value to the audience, because what I'm going to bring it down to my level here. Uh, When you, when you have the ultimate user with the medication in hand and you have to take the most complex data that we've learned in evaluating these studies and break it down to someone who may not even have, they might not have their GED, they may have a fifth grade education and uninterested, not necessarily wanting to do this, but they have heart failure and diabetes, neurological damage, you name it. To try and break that down and make sure that that person is understanding and taking it seriously, you have to understand what's valuable to them. put yourself in that position. We've all sat in those conferences and we all know those people and we all tune out. So if you're up there and your goal is to make sure you've got X number of talks underneath your belt or make sure you get enough to move to the next pharma company who you can be lauded at, well, then you're not really delivering any value to your listeners or to the ultimate user who's the patient. If if they're not convinced of it and it's a great product, they're not going to prescribe. They're going to keep on going with the tried and true success that they have with their patients already. Yeah. And well, there's nothing wrong with the tried and true sometimes. The tried and true, you know, if it, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. All right. So I, I will say that. But ultimately, what you're there to do is truly to deliver value to the audience. And if you think about it like this, my, I like to think that my time is valuable. John, I like to think that your time is valuable. Mike, same thing. I like to think that your time is valuable. And the last thing that I want to do is waste your time. And if I show up somewhere to deliver a presentation and I don't know the information, I'm wasting your time. The other thing I'll say is the other thing that can help with making someone less nervous, back to your point initially, Mike, is practice. You know, it was rumored that Steve Jobs practiced for 16 hours for every hour of presentation he had to give. So having the practice down pat allows you to take the stories, take the translation, work on it, make sure that the message that you're saying goes over the way in which you say it. You know, you think about comedians, right? You think, I can't believe I just said, right. All right. Everyone out there in the audience, you heard me say it like three times tonight. Don't do that. When you rehearse, don't say, right. Don't say, ums, don't say, ahs. We, we'll talk okay. about verbal crutches. Let's, let's okay. save that one. I want to come back to it. Well, and this also goes down to the point of practice. If you think about comedians, they talk about how, you know, they've cut their teeth at the comedy store. They go and they do all of these stand-up clubs, right? And they work on their material and they work on their material from the stage. And if the audience isn't laughing, then they're like, oh, I need to fix this. I need to adjust this joke. I need to, you know, position this point of it 
in front of this point. And then they go out and they try the same jokes again. They try to make sure that the audience laughs and the audience has a great time. So comedians are kind of masters at practicing the art of speaking and they do it by practice and they do it by practicing in front of live audiences. Okay. What about right now though? Using your hands, using the inflection of your body, even not just your voice, um, raising of the eyebrows, showing actual interest in what you're saying, moving your shoulders to a different point, like body language being such a huge, um, I'm not going to say a a crutch at all, but a crux of the conversation. Um, If you're not moving, I'm going to give one example. I had this, I'm going to call him out. He's probably never listened to a podcast in his life. Dr. Marvin Pankaski was one of our professors. Uh, He was a delight. He carried a punch because he would get his arms together and he would jump around the room making his point. And he had a big mustache, kind of looked at Albert Einstein, but he was teaching pharmacokinetic profiling. How did we remember this guy at all? Because we did the derivations longhand, shorthand. We knew now we just know what we have to plug and play for pharmacokinetic profiling. But we remember this guy and remembered his passion because of his body language. Yes. And passion and energy are important. You know, I, the other, one of the other things that I think that I do that I don't know if most people do is I always seek feedback. Whenever I do a presentation, if it's CME, if it's for a a product, if it's for whatever it could be for, I always seek feedback. And one of the things that I found that the consistent feedback is I love your energy. I love your passion. I love that you're, you know, you, you want to see people get better and okay, well, people like energy and they like passion. I want to continue to do this. There's other times when they're like, you said this and you should never, ever say that again. And I'm like, oh, okay. I'll never say that. Or one time I was talking about the the preparation for something and I, I, I used an analogy and I I shouldn't have used it. I said something about a a redheaded stepchild and I got like this evil, like glare. And I was like, you know what? I can't ever use that analogy when I'm, when I'm presenting from the front. The point is nobody's perfect. And unless we think about what it is that we're doing, we're also not going to improve in the, in the process, if that makes sense. Okay. So improvement though, because we keep, we do this all the time. We'll say, Mike, you said, um, too much, or we, we got to stop having, because uh, 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 we have to edit that out. We'd rather have a silence. So you, it's so uncomfortable at first to have a silence instead of saying, um, but what we have found with that in any presentation we've been able to give is when you have a pause, people tune in because they're just waiting for that next little statement to come out and it really just works like that because everybody listening right now is probably stopping a little bit yeah so jeremy let me let me tell you my body language journey because this is something that i've been focusing on really for the past year and i think this is a great example where you pip just described you're very intentional in your mannerisms you're intentional in how you present yourself not just verbally but also physically and i think this goes back to what you said earlier of being just very hardworking, seeing this as an art form. I think so often people look at public speaking as a duty or an obligation. They don't see it as a vehicle for advancing their career. And maybe they don't take it seriously. Maybe they don't put enough thought into it. But 
the one thing that I do, and you've seen me speak, we actually were at a training together and I got this feedback is I get the happy feet. When I'm at a crux, when I'm at a tough slide, I end up shuffling a little bit on my feet. I'm pretty good with my arms. I keep my arms in. I use my arms to give good, you know, enough movement, but not too much. But then I start shuffling back and forth on my feet. So that's something that I've been working on where I'm trying to keep my feet solid. I don't move my feet at all. Arms are for moving. Arms are for making points. When you want to get big, you can get big. But the feet should stay still because the feet make you look nervous. They make you look shifty. And then if you're moving your feet, that also potentially puts you where your back is to the audience. You're going back and forth to the slides. So just, yeah, right. So just little nuanced things like this. And like you said, the feedback is where you can make improvements. We were at a speaker training and that was one of the feedback points that I got from the the trainer that was there was talking about that. So one, one la- go ahead. I, I don't want to steal your thunder. Well, I was going to say there's, there's the other thing is too, you know, when you present, if you talk about moving, if you're on stage and you're presenting over here and you're moving over here, sometimes you need to move from one area of the stage to the other areas of the stage to emphasize the point or to make it have more value. And being kind of hyperkinetic, so to speak, isn't going to be the, the or phrenic isn't going to be the best thing for you. But if you're moving deliberately from side to side, that's, I, that's definitely okay in my book. And it has the audience track with you. Yeah, I think movement, intentional movement can help emphasize points. It's the the shifting or the, these these unknowing ticks that we have or crutches that we have. So good transition. I want to get back to the verbal crutches because I think anyone that is just getting into speaking, one of the hardest things to get rid of is the ums, the uhs, the rights, you knows, all these verbal crutches that we have that are there because we're trying to think of the next word. And everybody does them. We still do them on the podcast. I'm sure you're going to hear plenty of ums or, you know, awkward pauses or things like that. But what is your advice for someone who is working on improving as a public speaker to try and reduce or eliminate those verbal crutches? Record yourself. That's the first thing I'll tell you is to record yourself. I uh, had to deliver a presentation one time. And I didn't have the time that I like to have to prepare. And I'm, I know the information, but I, I don't have the art of it mastered, which is in my mind, probably the more important part. And I recorded myself giving the presentation and I listened to it just initially, you know, going through the slides and I listened to it over and over and over again. So I listened to myself for seven hours. <laughs> Let me tell you how unhappy I was with myself after that seven hours of time. But I learned where I said rights and where I would say an um and where I was pausing. And, and as listening to myself, I was able to say, okay, well, I want to go from this point to this point. You have to segue back through here. And then you bring it to this point for the conclusion of this particular aspect of the presentation. But understanding the way you do it is best heard by recording yourself. And if you have the ability to video record yourself, you can also do that. And that will help you. Okay. So you've started a company to help this though. You've helped professionals develop in this way through recording. I mean, can you tell us a bit about this and and how you've been able to help some others, what resources you have, and maybe some processes in which some folks listening could think about and maybe reach out? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, John. And I will tell you, you know, initially before 
I formed my speaker training company. And I know that you had mentioned my, that I was the CEO of my own practice, but I also am the CEO and founder of a, a speaker training company called Journey Training and Consulting Solutions. And the website for that is jtcsolns.com. If you go there, if any of the listeners out there, if you go to that website, you can click on, there's a, a PDF that you can download. It'll have 10 kind of Jeremy's tips to delivering a, a more honed presentation just as a broad overview. If you talk about helping speakers, well, the first part of helping speakers is helping them understand what they may not understand. And that is that they're actually there for a purpose. So some people do kind of this job in, in Mike's world or you know, in the, the medical education world, or they don't necessarily understand the purpose as much. And it's more of a, okay, I'm giving this presentation on this, but there's, there's nothing behind that. So there's no thought about the audience's time. So first helping them to understand what it is that they're doing, why they're doing it that way, to encourage the people to do a better job than they are doing. Because if you think about it, well, all three of us have spent an extensive period of time studying We've all studied. We've had our nose in the books for years, but we don't put the same effort into public speaking. It's just, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. So the first thing is helping people understand that. The next thing is giving speakers real feedback. Also helping them understand that they need to begin with the end in mind. They, speakers need to know that they shouldn't tell a story without a point. And they shouldn't make a point without a story. And I would, I would do this for you now, but, you know, we don't, podcast is probably running short or, you know, people will get off track and they don't understand how to get back. And so, you know, explaining to them that you don't want to fly from Maine to Florida with a six hour layover in Seattle, Washington, right? It doesn't make any sense to do that. And so understanding that we need to be on track, we need to be concise, we need to be bundled up and precise in the information that we give is important. The other thing I'll say is, you know, we're talking about this podcast. So this is a live presentation. You know, the three of us, you know, Mike, I was very honored when you asked me to be the, the guest tonight on the podcast. And I thought, well, this is great. I have a face made for radio. And then imagine my surprise when I saw the Zoom link. And I already thought, Mike, you have a great voice. You know, this is, this is going to be, you know, terrifying. And the other issue is this right now is live. There's, I have no idea what you're asking me about, right? There's, I have no preparation time. I went to go see the symphony with my wife and my son. And it was in Wheeling at the, you know, the Capitol Music Theater. And there was, it was Disney. And so, but way back in the background was, you know, like little snippets of Disney videos. And the conductor was at the front, you know, doing this sort of stuff. And the first violin, the posture was perfect. And, you know, the, it's being played, the first chair. And they had singers that would come out and they would sing. And nobody missed a note. And nobody missed a facial expression. Nobody missed anything. It was perfectly in tune. It was orchestrated. So the other thing that speakers need to understand is when you're delivering a presentation, you're delivering something that's orchestrated that you've put the time into to bring forth to the audience. Whereas now, nothing of what I'm doing now is orchestrated. Man, I think that is the, the perfect high note haha, to, to leave it on. <laughs> So having a plan, oh, it's boy. so true. I, I think every time you give a talk, 
putting some thought into how you're going to set it up, what stories you're going to tell, how you're going to transition between the different points. It's such an important thing. So, Jeremy, you've listened to the podcast, I believe, a couple times. You hopefully know we always like to finish with some non-medical or non-career related light items. And the reason for that is medicine can sometimes be all-consuming, so we want to make sure that we maintain our humanity. So as our honored guest, you can go first or you can pass since we're putting you on the spot, but what are you eating? What are you drinking? Have you done anything fun? Are you reading anything good? What's going on in your personal life that's interesting? Yeah, so I am a huge proponent of having a healthy work-life balance. You know, I spend a lot of time in the outdoors and I'm a huge fisherman. I love to fish on inshore, offshore, near shore, you name it. So the You're a fly fisherman? I am. I tie my own flies. Whew. And if you fly fish, John, we should spend some extra time after I've this. seen a river run <laughs> runs through it and I, I someday. I, I, I want to move to Montana. It's not going to happen, but yeah. Well, if you ever want to go, John, I'd love to go with you. Honestly done. Yeah. So I'll, I'll come out and we should go fishing sometime, but I spent the weekend up in Maine in Maine. It's interesting for me because they have lakes, but they don't call them lakes. They call them ponds. So everything in Maine is a, it's a pond, you know, it's a massive body of water. And so the water. Yeah. So I fished the, uh, I fished the ponds on Saturday and I caught, you know, cro- crappie pike, bass, white perch, yellow perch, a complete mixed bag of fish. And Saturday or Sunday, the plan was to go offshore striper fishing, although it's usually not good in Maine. And so we went offshore. We didn't catch any fish, but it was beautiful. We were out on the ocean. And Monday, I was supposed to go shark fishing for Mako. For the big, for the big boys, you know, six and 800 pound fish. And unfortunately this year and the year prior, the wind was blowing at 20 to 25 knots in both of the, over the last two years, I haven't been able to get out and fish for sharks. So you go back to the ponds and you spend the time fishing. You get a great tan. I came home and my, my wife hadn't seen me for a few days. And I said, babe, I had such a fun time and I got a great tan. And she said, you look old. Ooh. Ouch. It's like rough, but I'm a big fan of having a healthy work-life balance. I know you've been talking, uh, kind of mentioning about, you know, outdoor things and the benefits of that for our psyche. And I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. So I spend a lot of my time outdoors in terms of reading. It, it's mostly stuff to my three-year-old in journal articles. And I've been, uh, writing a book as well about, you know, being an effective medical presenter as well, kind of the art of medical presenting. Very good. I, I'll go next because I can segue reading for me. Love it. I, I believe most of my colleagues, when they got out of school, they said, I'm not going to read anything. I don't have to absolutely read for a year at least. I said the same thing and I hopped right on to Ernest Hemingway. I just couldn't stop. I had to finally read for fun. But Dune had come out not too recently and I had never read the book. I don't have time to read fantasy novels at this point, but I do have commutes and I have lawn work. So I got Audible, downloaded the full cast uh, version. It was delightful. 12 hours, 13 hours. I, I listened to this. I wish I could do it over again three times. Loved it. So I'm looking for my next, my next uh, I would say podcast, but Audible book and I found a few and maybe I'll tease it for next time. But that paired with, it's starting to feel like fall up here. 
It was 68 degrees here. It was perfect redhead weather, clouds in sight, uh, slight breeze, beautiful. I got to lay in my hammock, listen to the book, even get to read a little bit, beautiful. All right, I'll stick with the weather theme. So to wrap up, so I just came back from vacation as we talked about earlier and we went to the Outer Banks. As Jeremy mentioned, I'm a big outdoorsy guy, but I like the mountains. So if I am choosing the vacation, it's always gonna be mountains. So going to the beach was a foreign concept to me, and I would like to just take a moment to say how amazing the beach is. So we sat, we did nothing. We, we went to the beach in the morning, hung out by the pool in the afternoon, and it was amazing. It was relaxing, it was great. And the big thing I think is the kids are finally getting old enough where they could have their floaties, their little swimmies on, and they would all go into the pool or into the ocean. And my wife and I got to sit on the beach or sit by the pool, you know, have some adult beverages, and it was incredible. But yeah, so I, this is me saying that the beach is lovely, and uh, I'm really happy that, you know, even it's though it's not a vacation I would have chosen, I'm glad to be out of my comfort zone because it was one of the most relaxing weeks I've had in a long time. Awesome. Great. So, Jeremy, thank you so much. As we always do, we'd love to have you stay on, and we're going to trans- transition over to our Patreon members only. You can swear there because I know uh, I know you well enough to know that it's been really hard for all of us to avoid curse words through this. So we'll switch over to Patreon. And in there, you and I have some stories that we can share. We've got some really fun, crazy stuff that I'm sure we can talk about from our time speaking in pharma. But for listeners that are not joining us, thank you so much. If you do want to listen to the bonus content, go to patreon.com slash WCRT. Membership is as low as $5 a month. You get bonus content. You also get a lot of educational stuff so that we can help support your journey. Otherwise, like us, follow us, review us. Until next time, I'm Mike Asbeck, John McDonald, Jeremy. Thank you so much. 